0: And, you know, there's lots of times where I think we may sometimes take for granted just what it took and how awesome that is. That's a great song that the grave has no hold on us. Amen. This isn't the end. We're just practicing for the true life, the life to come when we will experience eternal life. But, you know, really, does eternal life start once we leave here and go to heaven? Because that's not true. Eternal life started the moment you got saved. The moment you accepted Christ, God put the life into you that you were supposed to have when you were created. Before the fall, before sin entered in and corrupted that life and caused that life to need to be redeemed and to be restored And through all the things that salvation does eternal life is much bigger than dying and going to heaven and living forever and today i want us to look on the subject of eternal life you may not have ever really thought about what all is eternal life because i think eternal life the biblical definition of how scripture defines it is a very misunderstood thing most people think eternal life is that you die and go to heaven and then it, that's when it starts but I don't know about you, if you've ever been saved, something happened to your life <laughs> that was different before you met Jesus. That's the life of God being put in you. And John, starting here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 14, he's writing about the difference that the life of Christ has made in them and how they've seen him and watched him and listened to him and they actually lived with him and touched him. And that life, the word of life that was manifested in Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is the living picture. He is what eternal life is to look like. That's how we would have been if sin wasn't have God in us. We would have lived like Christ. Not that we're God, but the life that he lived was the life God created us to have without sin. And I want you to look at what he says right here. We're going to read it together, and then we're going to pray right quick. And we're going to dig in this morning, looking at the topic of eternal life. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, which is my favorite gospel, it shows Jesus much more in his deity than in his Son of Man portrayal. He has shown us the Son of God. And look at what he says right here. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, We know that in his gospel he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and everything that was created was created by him and he says in verse 2 here though, the word of life, the life was manifested, it was revealed, they seen it before their eyes and we have seen and we bear witness to declare to you and here it is, that eternal life which was with the father And was manifested to us. How was it manifested to us? Through the life of Jesus. And look at what he says. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be. Be full. Father, we pray for your blessing over the teaching of the word of God this morning. That you will open eyes. You will help hearts to understand. That you will take minds that seem to drift and help them to focus on the most important thing we'll ever look at. Eternal life. That's what Jesus came to provide for us. Help us to see what it is, how we receive it, and then how do you know for sure you got it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 17, after he had been betrayed, after the Lord's Supper, that became the first communion meal. He was hours from the cross. He was somewhere between the upper room in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed this prayer. And we call the prayer that he gave us, we ought to call it the disciples' prayer, our Father who art in heaven, because that's the prayer for us to pray. But this is the true Lord's prayer, if you ask me. This was the Lord crying out on the night before he went to the cross to his Father. And in that prayer, he says something that I want us to see He says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come, the hour of what? The hour of the cross, the whole purpose for why he came. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. And then he said, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. I want you to understand something. Eternal life is never earned. Eternal life can't be won. Eternal life is a gift. It's given to us. He says that he has given Jesus eternal life, and no one gets eternal life, but through Jesus it is the only way you'll ever experience the life that God has prepared for everybody. And what is it then? And and this is the best definition I've ever seen of it, the best way of looking at it. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. People aren't in hell today because they're bad. And people aren't in heaven this morning because they're good. People that are in heaven are in heaven because they met Jesus. They had an encounter. And they know him, the true God. And they're in a relationship. When he gives us the book we're going to be looking at in First John, the second to last verse of the book in the last chapter, chapter 5, he puts this verse. Those of us who are saved, we know things that unsaved people don't know. Those of us who have eternal life have something in us that normal, unsaved people don't have yet. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know Him (laughs) who is true and we are in Him. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Something's happened to him. Old things passed away, all things become new. He's not the same anymore when you get eternal life. Eternal life changes you the moment you get saved, my friend. You don't have to go to heaven to experience eternal life because if you haven't experienced it here, you're probably not going to be getting it there. And look at what he says. This is the true God and eternal life. I want you to see something that I see that most people do subconsciously. They don't even realize it. But most people today think that Eternal life is never-ending life. Eternal life is not just a quantity of life, although it is, but guys, eternal life is also a quality of life. Because listen, everybody in hell is going to live forever. People in hell's soul will never die. If all eternal life is getting a pardon where the grave doesn't kill you and you live forever, then we got some things to figure out. See, everyone in here is going to live forever. But the quality of how you're going to live forever is determined on if you have eternal life or not. You see, eternal life is also a quality of life. It's the life that God has, the life he created us to have. You see what happened if you really go back to the beginning when God created Adam and he formed him from the dust and he breathed the life of breath into his nostrils and he became a living being created in the image of God he was created in the image of God and you can go back to Genesis 2 and 3 and check this out and then he created Adam from i mean Eve from Adam and he put them in the garden and he said everything was good and they were in a perfect relationship with the father who created them for that reason and when God would come walking through the garden, they'd hear him coming, and things was good. But when they sinned, he told them, if you sin, if, he didn't call it sin, he said, if you take of the forbidden, the fruit. And there are people saying, it really wasn't fruit. It wasn't an apple. I don't know what it was, but it was there that they were not supposed to get it. I believe it was fruit. And they ate of it. he said, if you eat of this, you will die. Satan told them, you won't surely die, but you'll be like God. You see, that's what Satan does. They were more like God before they ate that fruit and didn't realize it because they were the way God had created them to be. And when they ate that fruit, God told them, if you eat it, surely you will die. But guys, listen. Physically, they walked out of the garden, but there was a death that occurred. Spiritually, They died. They were no longer the same. You know what happens when you die spiritually? You can't maintain or have a true relationship with God. You see, we're created just like him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created body, soul, and spirit. I personally believe that what happened was the body and the soul had the spiritual part that helped us to be in perfect relationship with God. He created us to be a spiritual being just like he was. But the spiritual part of man became corrupted. And sin makes it even worse. Now, I want you to think about this. Eternal life, if you study it out in the Scriptures, is the spiritual birth of the believer being born again with the life of God. You see, everybody that's not saved, according to the Bible, is spiritually dead. They don't have the ability to hear and understand spiritual things. They don't know God in the capacity that a saved person who's been born again and has eternal life does. I want you to think about this. I'm going to show it to you in the Scriptures. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that when we were saved, it says, you he made alive who were dead and trespassing sins. Do you remember the difference? I didn't get saved. I was 33. I noticed that the people who were really dead in their trespassing sins, who maybe had addictions like me that had taken them captive, or maybe they had a bunch of experiences in life that had broken them and, and, and hurt them, but when they met Jesus and they got eternal life, they may have a little more dramatic experience, but I want to tell you something. Everybody who gets born again because they get saved and God's spiritual life enters into them should have a life-changing experience because it's impossible for it to happen if it's biblically sound and it happened to what the Bible says and you not realize it and know it. Because the new birth experience is a spiritual, holy And heavenly birth, that results in our being made alive again spiritually. Now I want to ask you something. Whether you're 33 and a drug addict and have caused and contributed to a broken marriage and life as you thought it should be has totally been wiped out and then you get saved and the hope of Jesus comes into your life or whether you're a 10-year-old kid who gets saved and gets born again and eternal life is put into you, and you have spiritual life, the life of God, the life that they see manifested in Jesus, now that have, there ought to be a radical difference in that person. And I want you to look at this with me. This new birth experience, receiving eternal life, the new birth, born-again experience, radically changes your life. And friends, how can you be dead in your trespasses and sins There is no spiritual life in you. Then you get saved by the power of the gospel. The gospel takes away your sin. It washes you. It pays the price and redeems you and purchases you so that now you're no longer captive. You've been set free. You're no longer bound to the law. And then God is able to what? Reconcile you. He reconciles with you so that you can be in a right relationship because he wants to renew you. And as the Spirit goes to work in you, he's working renewal in you to restore you. That's what salvation is doing in your life here today. And friends, it radically changes you when salvation comes into your life. And today we've got so many people that say, I hope I'm saved. I hope I have eternal life. I'm looking forward to when it starts, (laughs) when I go to heaven. But friends, it starts now when Jesus comes into your life and his spirit enters into you. And that spirit lives in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Bible says. And I want you to think about this with me. Jesus said this to a very religious man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night because he seen that the life that was in Jesus had to be of God. He said, Jesus, the things you do, you have to be God, for no man could do it. And Jesus answered to him, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Most of us think of eternal life as entering the kingdom, going to heaven, and living heavily ever after in the presence of God. And it is that. But that's not all it is. You see, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that's all it's ever going to be. And every one of us was that until we were saved by the power of the gospel and God redeemed us. He took away our sin and he cleansed us and he put his spirit back into us. That's exactly what the Bible teaches happened. How can that happen to us and we not know it? How can that happen to us And you don't see it making a difference in a life. Because he says, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. It's in this text, and it's in that book. You still have the old man, but you now have the new man. They're still part of who you were, but now you've been given the one, the Spirit of who you shall be and should be. And I want you to think about this. Spiritual life begins with spiritual birth. I did it again. Which occurs when we put saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now guys, when you got saved, God did much more than just put your name on the list that now you can go to heaven. As a matter of fact, he promises things that when spirit comes into our life, that'll happen. That we will grow, that we will become more like Jesus every day if we maintain a relationship with God. You see what the problem is? A lot of us knows what I'm talking about. When you first got saved, it was like the honeymoon when you first get married. It was wonderful. Jesus was everything. You loved Jesus more than anything, and you was all about Jesus, and Jesus was all over you. And like a newborn baby, you were growing, and life was changing. Remember what it was like? The Word of God came alive. It was like when that little baby finally talks. You know, we got all these young great-grandkids growing up, and they start to say mama and papa, and they start to say words. It's amazing when they begin to talk, and all of a sudden they grow Friends, remember when you began to learn and understand who God was and you began to be able to talk to him and you had a relationship? Friends, listen. The Bible teaches that if we lose our first love, who is Jesus, there's consequences. If you neglect your relationship with Jesus, there's consequences even to a saved person because that life in you has to be nurtured. It's in you. It's yearning. God will change your life but you've got to be willing to let him do it you remember what paul said in the book of philippians he said i am confident who who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of christ jesus but he also says in the next chapter a few verses from that in that letter work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in God will never force you to do anything. He invites you. He imports life to you, but you've got to choose that life. When you first got married, it was easy to be a good husband. It was easy to have a good marriage. How many of you have learned that if you've been married a long time and you both done got old, that now you've had to work at that marriage? There's been things you had to do to make that marriage be what it's supposed to be. with God's salvation, I hate to tell you, is more than you just get saved, sit on your keister, listen to a preacher, go home, act like everybody else, and experience eternal life here on earth. Because that's what we seem to think is happening. I want you to look at something with me right here. Look at what he says in this letter. He says the life in verse 2 was manifested. It was brought to the place where we could see it. And we have seen and we bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. The life that was with God, his life, was manifested. That which we have seen and heard in Jesus, we declare to you that you also may have what? Fellowship with us. I want you to notice in the next three verses, fellowship, that word is in there four times. You see, God didn't just save you to add Jesus to your life and go about business as usual. He saved you and gave you eternal life, put his spirit in you so that you can have a relationship. The relationship that was taken from us in the garden. Do you remember what happened after sin? When God come walking through the garden and they heard him, they hid themselves, they ran from God. But once we get saved, everything that would make us hide from God is taken from it. And we now can come to God without guilt, without shame. And now we have an access to God. And you can have a real, genuine, true relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, fellowship is much more than coming to church on Sunday and going back and forgetting about God and getting up on Monday and going to work or to school or whatever life is to you and not doing it as a partner and a partaker of God. It's an everyday thing. And it should be that way if we're saved. As we begin to look at this, and we begin to think about this, he tells us when we're walking with him, he tells us in verse 4, as we have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, And that these things we write to you so that your joy may be full. You know, we look at that and we see so that our joy may be full. Do you remember when you first got saved? The power and the unbelievable experience of the joy of his salvation. The joy of his salvation, the Bible says, is our strength. But guys, David sinned and he cried out, return to me the joy of your salvation. Please don't take your spirit from me. But God create a clean heart in me and renew a steadfast spirit in me. You know why? He was never not saved. But he lost fellowship. He lost his relationship. Friends, I grew up in a home where we all loved and I would say had a fairly healthy traditional family. We had some dysfunctionalness to us. We all do. But My daddy loved me, and when he died, there was one thing I knew. My daddy loved me. He was proud of me. But I'm going to tell you what, even though my daddy loved me, when we got to the place where we sit down at the kitchen table at night for supper, and Mama had cooked, and Mama had done everything, and Daddy came home from work, and we was the wonderful family sitting down together to have some fellowship, and we had done something we shouldn't do. Fellowship wasn't like it is when we're doing what we're supposed to do. When mama told us, when your daddy gets home, I'm going to show him that report card. Or when your daddy gets home, I'm going to tell him what you did. Supper was long, and it was not helpful. Because it. though I was Huey Cooper's son, it hurt the relationship, friends. I know we don't like to see this, but you can't have the joy of his salvation and have the fullness of what salvation has provided Through the life of God, when you live a life that doesn't reflect and let that life have its way in you. My daddy used to tell us this. You boys is a cooper and you're going to act like a cooper or you're going to wish you wasn't one. (laughs) You ever thought that? Friends, listen, if you belong to God, God wants you to look like him and act like him. He gave you his life. He put his life in you. And friends, the Bible is clear that we have access to all these things that we don't have. But listen to what he says in verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and him is no darkness. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sins guys listen the blood is still cleansing you all the time and if you walk into darkness god is light you can't cohabitate light and darkness cannot be in the same place at the same time you can't experience god's life in you when we don't allow that life to be what it wants to be in our life and i want you to think about this When you look at verse 4, he says, we write these things so that your joy may be full. Where did he get that? He got that from the Gospel of John, from Jesus. See, this is what he said Jesus said. How many of you are familiar with chapter 15? Chapter 15 is the teachings that was the last things Jesus said before he went to the cross. It's hours somewhere between leaving the upper room after Judas had betrayed him, in the garden of Gethsemane and saying that prayer we just looked at Jesus taught a teaching do you remember what he said he said i am the vine and you are the branches he said unless you abide in me and i abide in you you can do nothing and friends listen abiding is a relationship it is the fellowship spending time with god and it gets below that i want to read it to you in Listen to what he says, and I want you to catch how many times he says, Abide with me. Friends, many of us have eternal life, but we do not abide. We don't have fellowship with God. God is the last thing on our list of important people to hang out with all during the week. And you come to church, you haven't thought about God, you haven't prayed, you haven't been in the Word, you're not maintaining a fellowship, abiding relationship, and you wonder why your joy is not full. I'm here to help you. I'm going to help you at the end. You're wondering why you don't have peace beyond understanding. You're wondering why all the promises that God said I would experience aren't happening when you're not spending time with Him. And I want you to think what He says right here. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you. So they were saved. He says, but abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Friends, all the church in the world, all the Bible studying, all the intellectual understanding of truth will not do anything in you at all if you don't have a healthy, vibrant relationship where you have fellowship to the point you abide with Christ. And Christ abides with you, you won't do anything. Fruit is not something we make. Fruit is a product of what God does in our life when we're rightly connected to him like a vine and a branch. And listen what he says. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so will you be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, that's what walking in the light is, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken, that my joy may remain in you, and your joy may be full. From verse 4 to verse 6, did anyone count how many times he said abide in him? Ten times. Jesus said, Abide in me if you want this to happen. If you want to be a fruitful child of God that bears fruit that you can't manufacture, that the church can't make happen in your life, that the preacher can't give you, that can only come from the supernatural work of God, you got to abide with God. You got to spend time with Jesus. And we think more church and more Bible studies and more ministry is going to change people. All of that without someone who's in right fellowship with Jesus, abiding with him, in communion with him so that he can receive from him, won't bear fruit that only God can produce. Now what does God produce? Have you figured out we can buy things that make us happy, but those things can't give us true joy? and we want peace. <laughs> we want untroubled hearts. And we can try all the things that we try to do to ensure a safe life, but it can't give you peace. All that comes from God. I don't know if you ever thought about what Jesus said, but one verse, I mean one chapter over, Jesus said, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to, I give to you." So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why are so many of us who have eternal life or claim to have it or walking around with no peace, with troubled hearts, when Jesus says, my peace, I'll give it to you. In John 16, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that in you, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And then in John, right here, he says, I have spoken to you, my joy may remain in you. You see, what we forget that joy and peace is an attribute of the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the Bible says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That's perseverance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Have you tried to do these in a religious way? Have you tried to make them happen in your life? They won't happen. You can't ever truly have this. This is a picture of who Jesus was. Jesus exemplified the fruit of the Spirit in his life. And friends, the fruit of the Spirit doesn't come from us doing things. It comes from abiding in God and God doing it in us. I'm so much a religious because of my background, working, trying to please God, trying to get things to happen. It's so hard for me to remember that the things that I'm struggling with the most are the things that I just need to abide with him and fellowship with him and trust him to fix the most because you can't fix them. Friends, you see, when he says that right there, eternal life is meant to be a relationship with God where we abide in fellowship with him through his son, Jesus. How do we do that today? You spend time in the word, asking God to speak to your heart. You spend time, we call it a quiet time, but you spend solitary time, alone time with Jesus, talking to him. But you see, what we've done is we found so many other things that we'd rather spend our time on, and spending time with Jesus in this crazy world that we live in that's doing just what Daniel said. It's going to and fro. And it's pulling you over here. And then it's pulling you over here. and Then it's knocking you down here. And then it's twisting you all around here. And then most of us is so confused. We don't know if we're coming or going. We don't know what's happened to us. All we know is it wasn't like when I first got saved, when me and Jesus was the way it was supposed to be, when Jesus was everything and life made sense and I had joy that gave me strength. I had peace that was beyond understanding. I seen the fruit of Jesus growing in my life. But today I go to church, try to read my Bible when I'm in trouble, (laughs) but are you really maintaining a true, genuine, abiding fellowship with Jesus Christ? Because religion has never done it, and it never will. It's a relationship. And I know people tell me, Preacher, we know we need to have a quiet time, but we work, we got kids, we got this to do, and we got that to do. We just don't have time to read the Bible. We don't have time to really get alone and pray. And they tell me their life is too unmanageable. But then they have stuff that come on the TV, but they can manage their life to watch that same show at that same time. Every week. And never miss it. Or they can get their kids to everything else that the world has made available, but they can't get their kids to church or they can't find time for them and those kids to spend time quality time with the Lord but we find time for everything else you see Jesus is never second my friend he's always first or he's nothing you know what the last thing written in this book is it blows my mind right behind that verse that says we who are saved turn with me in your bible and if you got a king james it won't say this but i put this because that explains what an idol is so well but friends anything that takes the place of god in your heart anything that gets more of his time more of his attention anything that you fellowship with and you abide with more than jesus is an idol You don't have to have a statue of Buddha in your house to have idols. You see, John, after giving us this wonderful letter that shows us how to maintain a healthy relationship and how to have true fellowship and how to let God make his eternal life bear fruit in us and produce all these fruits of joy, peace, when he gets to the end of the letter, he says, For we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's those who don't have eternal life. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son Jesus Christ. This is eternal life. And and then this comes out of nowhere. Little children. He's calling them the little children of God. People who have eternal life. Keep yourselves. Some translation says guard yourselves. From idols. He's telling us you can be one of the little children and that life can be in you, but if Jesus isn't first and you don't have fellowship with Him, you don't abide in Him, that life will not bear fruit. And some of us are so choked out. We're like the four soils. You got the rocky soil that when they heard it, it didn't do anything. They heard the good news of Jesus and He could save them. And they were so hard and it never even entered in, and Satan came along and stole it, just like the birds off the rocky soil. Then you got those who had this shallow, non-committed, superficial. They got the hard, rocky heart, and they heard the gospel and they was all shouting and everything, but because their soil had no depth, their heart was so shallow, their commitment was so weak, it was just like that plant when it sprang up. It sprang up, but because it had no moisture, it had nothing to keep it going dried up and it went away. That's a group. But then Jesus said, this is where I find myself and lots of people. He said, then there's the weedy soil, the worldly heart that the, the, the Word of God sprouts up in. Salvation, eternal life comes up into that life. But it lets the world and all the things of the world choke it out. And it chokes it out. And they're so caught up in the things of the world, in the things of this life, that they are choking out the eternal life. And friends, I see myself in that. I see that in our churches that we're so consumed that these things that take the place of God that are choking out, we got to get the weeds out of our spiritual gardens. Can I get an amen? We got to get a renewal going in our lives if we want it to change our family and our marriages. And if we want our marriages to be able to change our churches, we can't have all the things of the world and all the things of eternal life. And so he says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. What is something that takes the place of God in your heart? What is something that becomes an idol? Anything that gets more of your fellowship than Jesus. Anything that you're abiding with more than Jesus. Now, guys, I'm here to tell you that there's seasons in my life when Jesus is not first. Hunting season, thank God that's just ended. (laughs) But the fish are biting. But ladies, there's a sale. Which a lot of times, what we give all of our fellowship and our biting is not bad things, but they are things that become misplaced to the point they can become an idol. We must understand that we must make Jesus first. He must be the most important thing in our life. And spending quality time with him, fellowship with time with him, praying, hearing the word, looking at the life that is shown us, that they're talking about, that they seen, that they saw, that they tasted, that was manifested to them, the life, the word of life that brought the life of God, that provided the eternal life. That that's where we spend our time. Today, we may be guilty. And if you are, I got good news. Jesus is a lot of things. Man, he's our Savior, and he's our Lord. When you first got saved, man, he's like the Rose of Sharon. He's the new lily in my valley. He's the most important thing. He's the best thing since sliced bread. And it was easy. But friends, I want you to understand something. Jesus is more than just someone who died on the cross to save you. He's the Lord, the King of kings, and he lives. But he's also something that John shows us in the first chapter. And I want you to see what he says. If we have allowed things to get in our life that are more important, that get more fellowship, that gets more of our adoration, more of our affection to the point, We're spending more time doing that than fellowshipping with Jesus. Whatever that is, is darkness. Because the light always leads you to God. The light all gives you more of God. Anything that takes God away from your life, anything that is replacing God is darkness. And so what does he tell us here? As you look, man, it is so unbelievable. Unbelievable. He says right here, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And this is the message which we heard from him and declare to you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we all struggle, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can maintain a relationship, that we can have fellowship, so that we can abide in him to receive what only he can give us. And then look at what he says right there. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not on us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, he says, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is our propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, he is our atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, guys, the devil is relentless. He knows that if I can keep them out of fellowship and I can keep them from abiding with Jesus and I can just make them be religious and be content to just say I'm saved and I go to church, but I don't really have a serious relationship with Jesus, he can rob you from the greatest blessings here on earth, joy, peace, perseverance, Patience, kindness, love, all those things that can only come from a healthy, vibrant relationship. Satan knows if I can distract you, if I can get you away from Jesus, I can make you stay carnal. So that's what he does. Have you watched the world lately? He's got it working real good. You have to make the effort. And when you find that you failed, the good news is he's made a way. Today all you've got to do is say, Lord, I have been tricked. I have fallen. And say, Lord, I confess that I'm in the dark. I confess I'm not in the light. Lord, I want to come back. We have an advocate. You guys, think about this. If you was the devil, and his main thing is to keep you lost and to keep those who are saved without any of the benefits of your eternal life. And he is working, and he is the enemy of everything that God wants to do in your life. Just think how he must feel when we have been guilty, we've had an idol, we put all this before Jesus, but we come to our senses this morning, and we come to our advocate, Jesus, and we come, and he's at the throne in the room with God, and he's our representative. And we go, and we say, I confess my sins. And Jesus said, okay, he forgives us of our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and says, let's have fellowship again. Let's abide again. The devil says that ain't fair. How can that be? I know Marvin put me. You, I know what he's done. I know how he is. But when you come with a pure heart and a true heart, you know what Jesus does? He says, devil, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at the hole in my side. I am that propitiation. I paid that price. I am his atoning sacrifice. I have brought him back to where we can have a relationship again. Friends, listen, it's not about just going to heaven. It's about a relationship. Do you have a relationship with Jesus this morning? Has it altered your life as Jesus invaded and interrupted your life? Because that's what Jesus does. He's not second. I'm going to say this, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. When God saves us, he redeems us. It's called redemption. And he purchases us back. Why does he do that? So that he can reconcile us reconciliation so that we can have a right relationship with him again why does god want to redeem us and purchase us from captivity of our sin and our lawlessness and bring us back why does he want to reconcile us into a right relationship because he wants to renew each one of you back what's he trying to do he's trying to produce restoration that's what salvation is it's being redeemed so that you can be reconciled, so that you can have a relationship with God. And when you are in a relationship with God, he renews your spirit. He renews your soul. He gives you a new life. He changes you, and he's restoring us. It's called restoration. It's all in the Bible. Go and read it. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but I'm in the restoration process. Amen? But sometimes I don't go along. Today, you can be redeemed if you've never been saved. No matter what you've done, he died for you and paid the price on Calvary to save you, to give you eternal life. And the moment you get saved, you'll be in a reconciled relationship with God. You'll be able to stand with God before God. You'll be welcomed. Your sin will no longer be in the way. And as you maintain that relationship by abiding with God through Jesus and having fellowship with him and walking with him every day, he will renew you. He will fix everything that you know is wrong with you. And he restores us. And friends, I don't know about y'all, that's a wonderful thing that salvation is actively happening in our life. Today, I want to ask you, where are you at along the way? Because all you got to do is come and say, Lord, you're my advocate. I confess. Jesus, cleanse me. Wash me. Lord, I want to be cleansed. And he'll start the process anew as if you've never, ever quit. That's an awesome thing. Eternal life is so much more than what we've made it. It's a quality of life. The life that only God can give us. Do you have that life to you? Has that life changed you? Is that life active in you? Reconciling you, renewing you, restoring you so that you can be who God saved you to be. That's what salvation is. And joy is in that. Peace beyond understanding. All those things. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, I've shared this message as best I can. Thanking you for what I've seen it in my life. Believing that there's people in every time we gather who can identify with exactly what I'm talking about. Lord, I pray that someone will come home today. Lord, there's a prodigal probably in this room who's walked away from you, Father, who's went out in the world who's in the pig pen, even as I speak, they know the truth. They know who you are. With all their inheritance, they squandered it and went back out in the world. And Lord, they're tired of eating the pig's food. They want to come home. Lord, today, let that prodigal come home. Let that person who's went off and wasted their inheritance as a child of God come to the advocate. Come to Jesus to be forgiven, to be cleansed, so that they can be renewed and restored and reconciled and leave here with a robe on and sandals on their feet, spiritually made right again. Today, that's available because of eternal life. But Lord, there's some of us who don't know the Father. They've never been saved. They've never had an inheritance to squander because they are not spiritually the children of God. They need to be redeemed. They need to come to the cross and let the blood of Calvary do its work. And they need to be saved today. Lord, that person knows what they need to do. Help them to publicly come and bring glory to your name and say, I'm coming to be saved. And Lord, I pray you'll set captives free as I speak, that you'll help the children of God to just leave here renewed, refreshed, with you in a right relationship, Father. In Jesus' name, help us to do that. If you need to come, now is the time. If you're not saved and you know it, when are you going to get saved if you don't do it now? Today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your neck. Don't think there's another day. While the Spirit is working, come. And for those of us who knows, I'm not experiencing Jesus the way I should. He's waiting. All you got to do is get things right. Amen. Nothing like being in a right relationship with the Lord. The world's a whole different looking place when you're right with God. So I'm asking you this morning, church, let's get right with God. Amen? Amen.